George Stansbury, Independent. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Grateful you join us here. You're a very busy man with a well-documented experience and pedigree when it comes to not only the oil and gas industry, but also understanding the world of media and the way to connect with people of all different walks of life because you can't be a writer and an orator, if you will. An orator, I guess, would be the right way to say it. Uh, without knowing how to connect with people. And you've got, what, five books now? Is that right? Yes, uh, Jason, I have five books. Um, I'm planning on uh, the sixth book coming out uh, a year from now. Uh, The theme has been, well, the book that really uh, got the most attention was America Needs America's Energy with the sub-theme Creating Together the People's Energy Plan. And that book came out in 2012. Well, you know there's a lot of things that have happened, Jason, in the last nine years that we need to update, get another edition of the book out, bring it up to date. Uh, A lot of it applies, but it'd be good to bring it up to date. And so that's what we're planning on doing. So hopefully a year from now uh, or a year from, well, probably more like October, we'll probably have the book out. So uh, we're in that early stages of making sure the uh, it's up to date and ready to go, but we're we're not there yet. So it takes about a year of planning to do it right. And the name of the book was what again? American Needs, America's Energy. American Needs, American Energy. America's Energy. America's Energy. Okay. Yeah, American Needs, America's Energy. A lot like Trading together people's energy plans. The sub thing, yes. A lot like the peanut butter cups when Reese is around. They're Reese's peanut butter cups. We <laughs> there a, you go. They're possessive. <laughs> possessive. America needs America's energy. That's right. I used to work with a guy named Reese, and so I'd actually pick up some peanut butter cups occasionally just to play that <laughs> joke around him. Oh, here he comes. Hide the peanut butter cups. They're his, you know. <laughs> well, that's a good way to look at it because, you know, it's, it's if you say that. I mean, when you take America's energy, it is all of us working together, uh, no matter – where you are for the industry, oil and gas industry, opposing oil and gas industry, or whatever, we're all using energy. And no matter what, uh, nothing moves without energy. And so we've, we, <laughs> I guess possessive is a good way to look at it. Uh, it's our energy, and, and yet we need to educate, as you do, Jason. You, you're out there educating the public about uh, the industry, and especially the oil and gas industry, and how vital it is through uh, the years ahead. It's not just a you know, shutting it down today and looking at what's going to happen uh, with the transition, uh, we've got to all work together. That's why I, I say of all America, you know, all forms, all American, because it's all the above that we have to work with. But we've got uh, many years ahead with the oil and gas industry to get to, to the next. Well, I've next got a lot of different. Dr- oh, excuse me, I apologize. I thought you were no, no, no. concluded no, no, there. This is a great discussion. I know we're going to be going back and forth. That's great. Yeah, I am very excited because uh, a lot a lot of directions to go. And um, I'm not sure if there's anything you want to talk about, but we'll make sure we plug your your uh, speaking and website and just, you know, ways that, you know, you make a living because that's, you know, sure. one, one of the things I like to make sure guests can get out there, especially if they've got uh, sponsors and all these other things that they need to mention. But, uh, and, and we'll get to that, but I, I did want, there, I've got three things that I wanted to talk about, uh, which is going to turn into a hundred. I know that, but, uh, so the, the cruise shift and COVID, I want to, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the current state of the industry. 
um, mm-hmm. and the ESG, the abandoned wells as well. But sure. the, the, your comments got me going on a new topic now as I'm mm-hmm. looking at my notes that I wrote down about 20 minutes ago. Uh, well, because you know we, we we didn't plan, you know we didn't pre-plan what we were going to talk about. So this is right. this is one of the reasons why I love when when people come on the crude life because very rarely do we even have bullet points ahead of time of what we're going to talk about because we just know it's going to be a relevant, pertinent, intelligent conversation about energy. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about because you've been covering this for a long time and you got a hell of a resume, so you actually do know what you're talking about is. I did a story, I want to say it was even for the Oil Man magazine, which is one of our common connections. That's right. Is I bl- and it was on the infrastructure and critical infrastructure specifically, how pipelines were considered critical infrastructure. And it was just, it was kind of a questioning about how, wh- where is this support from the authorities? Where is the support from, you know, the industry helping to educate on these different things. And then uh, U.S. Senator Kramer, I believe it was Senator Kramer, uh, last October, November, or December, uh, when he was on the program, he was starting to speculate if there would ever be another pipeline built in the United States, you know, in the next foreseeable future. And then um, Mike Rentfrau, this is a great guest, deep blue no, Blue Boat Subsea, not subsidy, Blue Boat Subsea. He's a uh, offshore uh, pipe, pipeline welder, and uh, he's been decommissioning pipelines. So there's, there's several you know, very good signs about the, the change of directions of the pipelines that go well beyond the protests. So I, we're, I'm just talking about the actual, hey, I'm not seeing new pipelines being built, or even the authorities and the, the, the establishment sticking up for the critical infrastructure that is labeled by the federal government. So uh, where do you stand on the pipeline direction and just kind of what's been going on the last couple of years? Well, I, I echo what you're saying, Jason. Uh, I'm concerned, very concerned, because uh, we're, we're losing uh, our workforce, first of all, uh, workforce of whether it's young people or those of any age that really want to get in the oil and gas industry, uh, it's very difficult to say, you know, I want to be uh, in the oil and gas industry right now and not be demonized, first of all. Uh, and so if you're going to a university or a technical school, uh, you know, first thing is, why are you going in the oil and gas industry for? And so I have a lot of, especially young people I've talked to, that they're going, we really don't want to go back, you know, go in your profession at all because, Look what's going on, and I'm going. But we need you. Uh, we need the landmen, the geologists, geophysicists, and engineers, and we need uh, those who want to work, welders, and others on uh, the pipelines. And uh, it, it's a big concern because I, I'd written a book. I'd mentioned America Needs America's Energy, but I'd written a book uh, several years before that called The Breaking Point, and, and it's spelled B R A K I N G, basically the stopping point. And part of that was on the infrastructure. One of the chapters, I really emphasized that we were not keeping up then. Uh, we were not keeping up with things that were needed as far as uh, maintaining uh, our, 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 our plants and, and refineries and our pipelines and so forth, our infrastructure. And that it needed to be a private-public partnership to get this done, which would mean what you're talking about, Jason, is educating the public and so forth. So... 
I still emphasize that, that we've got to maintain, because it's not a matter, matter of all magic that oil and gas industry is just going to go away today. Uh, you can stop uh, the Keystone Pipeline or other pipelines and say, well, we're through with the oil and gas industry. And uh, you can see how important our industry is when you look at uh, two, two areas of, of the country that were impacted this year, and that was, uh, you know, Texas being the, the grid, and then uh, also uh, uh, the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, it, it was amazing. I had a friend in uh, Atlanta that said, I get what you're all about now in the oil and gas industry. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I had to go 60 miles outside Atlanta just to fill up my tank because I had to go to work every day, and I had to go back. And then that one would close down. I had to find another location. He said, I see how important, you know, the pipelines are to the U.S., and I see how important oil and gas industry, you know, is to the U.S. And it took that to draw attention. I've been talking and preaching to him for years about the oil and gas industry. In fact, he was kind enough uh, when I'd written my book, American East America's Energy, he invited me to Atlanta, and, and I gave a talk and signed some books. And so uh, I know that this awakening is happening, but it's pretty slow on the education side. Uh, we've got to educate more. We've got to do what you're doing on the talking about it, the dialogue, which I really appreciate. In fact, I have what's called uh, something I started four years ago called National Energy Talk. And what that is is really doing what you're doing. It's a dialogue but not just, uh, you know, yours is you know, definitely radio and, and podcast driven. We had a conference that I started in 1992 at the University of Oklahoma, uh, International Energy Policy Conference, and it was emphasizing striving for energy efficiency and environmental preservation. That was a theme. We keep we maintain that theme because they are hand, hand in hand. And it wound up that we were having these conferences, and I had, in fact, next year will be the 30th anniversary of the conference. We were having these conferences in D.C. and Denver and Dallas and all that. It was great. But what I wound up looking at was we were preaching to ourselves, meaning our oil and gas industry, our energy industry. Uh, we had, I believe, that we needed to start more into the national dialogue. So that's why National Energy Talk, which is really part of what was a conference and what was part of the media-driven, social media-driven, all that, put under an umbrella. And part of that is going back to what we talked about. It. We need to maintain our pipelines, we need to build uh, an infrastructure that we're not, you know, we're number one, you know, in that regard. And we've got to maintain our security. Um, and the only way we can do that is to maintain all our infrastructure. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the current state of the industry. Uh, do, where do you think we're at in terms of, you know, the current state? I've, I've been on record saying that, you know, if we keep doing the same things that we've been doing, Steep giving the same money to the same people we've been giving money to, and et cetera, et cetera, that we're going to have a half a dozen companies controlling, you know, 90% of the global supply by the end of 2022. Well, I said that to U.S. Senator uh, Kevin Kramer back in December, and I'll never forget it because he said, it's more, he said, Jason, it'll be three companies. And I went, okay. Oh, my goodness. Uh, exactly. And, you know, I, and, and so I thought, oh, good, I got a U.S. senator now to cite instead of my craziness. I can actually have somebody else get thrown under the bus on this, you know, hot potato of a topic. So um, I like to just start with that context to where kind of where our conversations have been that, you know, especially when you take a look at the bankruptcies over the last two years, three years, and then you take a look at what debt is out there right now. 
Um, right. it, it, it's an incredible story, really, that I do think a lot of people should be a little bit more aware of than I think they are. Uh, just your thoughts on the current state of the industry. Current state, again, goes back to a huge concern. Uh, I had a friend of mine recently uh, that I visited with that had been has been in the oil and gas industry since his 20s. He's uh, reaching 60 years old, and he had several hundred wells that he was involved with, and he said, I'm selling. Uh, he said, I'm, I can't take it anymore. Basically, it's, you know, regulations. You don't know what what's going to happen with the oil, oil and gas prices because of, you know, are we going to go pushing the Green New Deal uh, and, and eliminate my industry and at the same time not be able to provide uh, revenues and and so forth. And I, and I said, you really are getting out. He said, I have actually sold all but one well so far after all those years. And he said, I'm, I'm holding on to that well because it's been something of our families four years. And so that'll be the last one I get rid of. The, the, and I'm talking to a lot of folks like that, Jason, that are going, we've, we've, in fact, there's a, a party that I talked to uh, over the weekend um, that have contacts in Texas with uh, uh, tr- a trucking company, um, actually a transportation company for oil, you know, as far as that goes. And, and he, he had already sold um, half of his trucks. He can't find workers. And so he said, I'm not going to fight it anymore. And so, and I haven't looked at it as of late, but at one point several years ago, uh, 50% of the uh, of those working in the industry were going to reach retirement age, uh, 55 and above, um, over a few years. And so I haven't looked at that lately, but I'd say it's higher than that now, probably 50, 60% of those in the industry will be reaching retirement age, and a lot of them are just going to take it. In the past, uh, people stayed in. You know, they, I'd see friends of mine at 70, 75 years old. They're still active. But, you know, I'm not seeing that right now. I'm seeing that they, they basically throw their hands up. And that's what goes back to what I talked about earlier is those that are, you know, young folks that are wanting to get into the oil and gas industry. Um, they're, they're sure not, a lot of them are not going to do it right now because they don't know if it's five years, 10 years, 20 years. And to be, like I said, to be uh, in the position that you're going to be looked down upon for entering the industry that because of the carbon footprint or because of um, methane emissions and things like that, things that we are addressing, by the way. Oh, it's just not cool. It's just yeah. not cool right now. You know, yeah. it's, I've, I've been saying this for three, four years, and I was getting blackballed in, in, uh, in meetings by saying, you guys got to understand you're the big tobacco right now. And, and the quicker you understand that and try to pull away – we need to create an awareness campaign that you cannot heat your home on Marlboros and drive your car with Joe Camels. So That's right. you cannot That's right. be the big tobacco. Okay, it's more like the farmer. You're getting replaced by the grocery store than, than with the light switch type of a thing. So uh, the farmers never got demonized all the way to big tobacco. But now the Wall Street Journal is putting big tobacco in the headlines. You know, it's, it's flat out calling it out. So... Things that I was kind of getting, you know, poo-pooed and demonized and, you know, stink-eyed and everything like that. It, it, there's, there's been a lot of the uh, putting your head in the sand with the industry. And some people call it silos. Some people call it buckets. Some people call it the country club, the fraternity, the sorority, whatever you want to call it. It's here. The, the, with that, I wanted to transition into the next topic, which is the, 
the big cruise shift because not only are people people retiring at at a rapid at a rapid pace, but there was the whole notion that by the end of 2022 and the 2023, you know, 90 percent of the 95 percent of the industry was going to be retired and replaced. It was called the big cruise shift, the great shift. You know, yes. Um, I think that's done. For the most part, I, I think COVID sped it up. I think for the most part, the people are in place. And that's where I think you're going to see now this kind of this next generation. And it's going to be interesting to see how the, with the ESG and how that kind of handles a little bit. We can get into ESG next. But right. I did want to get your uh, thoughts on, you know, the cruise shift and whether you think that it, it's pretty much accelerated through COVID. Is it done or is it still happening? I'd say yes, it's still happening um, because I still am talking to folks. They're still you know, scratching their heads. What am I going to do? They're still trying to hold on. They're, it's such a unusual time as, as we know each day's changing. Uh, uh, even when you have OPEC that's, you know, uh, as of today, you know, continue to fight each other also on what the outcome is going to be. So we're looking at how do you plan, you know, sit back and you go, how do I plan on this when, is it going to be hundred dollars a oil or is it going to be $20? You know, is it going to be uh, maintaining our infrastructure? We're going to let our infrastructure go where we can't even, you know, transport our oil or gas. I mean, so there's so many moving parts, called the moving parts, the factors that are out there that I know many of my friends are, and I'm saying those that are 55 and above are going, wait a second, let's just look at it. Uh, let's think it through before we make a, a you know, dramatic uh, change maybe in, in not a positive thing for them or for the country we need all these folks i mean we need the landman the geologists geophysicists those on work on the rig we need those folks that have been out there that are 55 and above it'll help transition right but uh but that's that's a challenge and um i, I don't think it's it's over yet but it's still it is there and uh and there are those yes that are getting out of the business as i mentioned already um Here's what I think, Jason, and it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. We've got to tell people to talk about what they do. And, uh, and I mean that by saying I have a lot of friends in the oil and gas industry have written checks to hospitals and to schools and helped, uh, helped you know, different organizations and helped kids get to school by giving scholarships and all these kind of things. And our oil and gas industry is a very big-hearted industry. It's one that gives, and and to think that uh, you're talking about COVID, the petrochemical products that were used during COVID is, is amazing. I mean, we, we without it, um, from transportation to actual uh, uh, containers, and you know, on and on, uh, we would not have had uh, good as good results by any means. So we need to to start appreciating our industry, but start with ourselves saying. I remember I gave a talk um, to a group, and I'd say, and this is not just the one time I've spoken like this, but I'll tell them, tell me, I'd point out to the audience, tell me what you're, you know, because I knew they were in the oil and gas industry. Well, tell me about yourself. I'm a landman. Are, are you proud to be part of the oil and gas industry? Yes. Not much enthusiasm, so forth. Could kind of looking around to see. <laughs> and I'm going, tell what you've done. What have you done as a landman? What have you done as a geologist? What have you done as a geophysicist? How do you, how do you go through this? And how... What are you giving back? And you'd be amazed when they start opening up. And then at the end, they'll all start standing and cheering for each other. 
And that's what we need to do, stand and cheer for each other, because it's uh, we give back in so many different ways to our society to, to think that we provide uh, electricity. So uh, today, for example, I have a mother-in-law in a hospital out in East Texas that I know she's going to be taken care of at this point anyway because of uh, the energy industry is taking care of her, make sure the lights and when she goes to surgery, she'll be in good shape and all that because of the energy industry, you know, nothing moves without energy. And that's 90 plus percent. I got, I got to feel like 99% of our, of what surrounds us, you know, from clothes to petrochemicals of all kinds. So uh, we've got a lot to offer. We still need to maintain uh, our, our workforce, but it's a challenge. Let me tell you. Yeah, I think I think the industry needs to do some thinking beyond too, because this ESG movement they seem to be losing the momentum and the narrative on that too. And you just mentioned something that I believe somebody who's got some authority when it comes to the ESG, because you know, like I said, there, there there's a movement happening, and I I see it going more towards the direction of the uh, climate activists than I do the the oil and gas and and coal and fossil fuel industry for sure. But you you mentioned a, a couple basically emergency services. Well, you're talking about 50 to 60% of any city is devoted, their energy grid is devoted to emergency services. Mm-hmm. So th- theoretically, technically, you know, some oil and gas company who pays somebody millions of dollars to come up with these ESG reports, they should be putting that in the ESG report that every live that got saved. Totally agree. Go, go figure out what the uh, percentage of energy was on that given day at that given time. And totally we'll, we'll see how what much that family relied on oil and gas and versus wind versus solar versus biomass versus hydro versus nuclear versus whatever. Because these technologies are there now. They are. I mean, so much of this big data is available now. And, I mean, I've, I've talked to people from 10 years ago that were going over to foreign countries like Qatar and China helping as a contractor put together, you know, switchboards that were essentially digital switchboards so they knew when the toaster would register wind energy at its peak, it would use that. I mean, this was from 10 years ago. So, right. yeah, we're, we're, we're at a point now where a lot of this stuff is available. So I don't even know how I got off on this little tirade. But, boy, no, but I, I, really I, like what you, I really like what you're saying, though, because it, 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 it really goes to what you're saying is ESG. I mean, it's it, – Jason, you remember when um, we had phase one and phase two, phase three, all that as far as uh, audits, as far as environmental assessments. And a lot of my buddies in the industry, uh, that goes back well, way back, uh, fought that. It's, uh, I'm not going to do all that. I'm just going to, so I wound up, I went and took a course, uh, because as a land man, I was a land man. I thought I need that to be part of my profession because I need to know more about environmental assessments. So I embraced it and I'm glad I did because, uh, we were kind of ahead in the sense that it, it wound up being something used, as you know, every oil, you know, every oil well will have. If it's done correctly, we'll probably have a piece, of, so at least a, a piece of paper or form or something talking about the environmental assessment was done on their particular location, and that in, is helping maintain the environment. I go that I use that same example with ESG. Uh, several of my friends in the oil and gas industry that have companies, in fact, a CEO, one company for in particular that I know of, 
has devoted part of his web their website, the company's website, to ESG, and have uh, put on there one to two pages. Actually, I think he has two pages of information of what they're doing as a company. So he's taking the lead instead of fighting it and saying, "Well, that's we're not going to be involved with that." Well, the key is it doesn't take that long, as you you just talked about. It doesn't take a whole lot of time to show the facts. <laughs> We, we, we did the same thing with the Bach and barbecue. We made sure that, that all these different things were, you know, all the boxes that they wanted were checked. And then what we did is even a bit above and beyond mm-hmm. just to make sure that, you know, okay, if you're going to come back and move the goalposts on us again, well, move them to here at least. We'll set the bar <laughs> even higher. That's right. Well, seriously, that's, that's, right. that's how we're doing a lot of this ESG stuff because – we started doing a like weekly, yeah, we, we did a weekly ESG report back in 2014. Now, we didn't call it the weekly ESG report. We called it the uh, Meridian uh, Davis Refinery Report because it was the first refinery to be built in the United States, a greenfield refinery from ground up, not, not a, you know, remodeled or patchwork, nope, from the ground up uh, in 50 years, 47 years, I think it was, 48 now. Uh, since the last one was built. So I was, as a journalist, know that, oh, my God, this is going to set the global standard the second they turn the light switch on. Because just being the first one built in 50 years, you're going to set the... Yeah, so I'm like, well, we got to document this. So we did a weekly report with the CEO, the chief engineer, and, and it was all about the environmental stuff. Well, then we got caught up in the lawsuits because you know, their refinery. So we, we were reporting on the 11,000 robotic emails that went into the state, copy and pasted to the state of North Dakota that they had to respond back to. That's all ESG folks. Mm-hmm. And the, you, you go talk to Bill, uh, uh, William Prentice. Sorry, I got to know him so well, I call him Bill. Um, <laughs> you go talk to William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy Group, and he'll tell you the new normal is one to four years of litigation He'll, tell, he'll flat out tell you that. That's ESG, right. folks, because we've been trying to get a hold of the narrative for a long time. We would have on uh, guys from the engineering firm, Zia Engineering, for example, out of New Mexico, uh, talking because they, they were getting the creme de la creme, man, to try to get the, you know, to make sure they would uh, check all the boxes. He would go on, talk about the different bends and the angles, how that would reduce emissions. We were getting it dumbed down for the five year olds. So that because again we're on the radio, different audience. You got to approach it totally different than you know a podcast where you can where you can even drop a swear from time to time. You know, right. can't, can't right. do that on the radio. Uh, but anyway, so this ESG movement, it's 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 almost like uh, a lot of the leadership, the appointed leadership or elected leadership or whoever. I don't know um, leadership. We'll just call it that. They're, they're just going to react when I think they need to be out ahead of the cart here. Um, just your thoughts on that. I'm not trying to piss anybody off or get polarizing here. I, no, I just, I, I I, I just don't even know how to approach this. How about you? Well, I still believe that if, if we take it proactive, I'd rather be in charge, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, I'd rather take a proactive stance and say, you know, here's, here's the ESG. Here's how we're, we're handling it. We're going to answer the questions but we've got a job to do, you know, it's like, here's, here's, here's my report. It's, you know, very, you know, it could be 80 pages. It could be a hundred pages, it could be two pages, but at least it shows a proactive stance that if that's what the investment, 
you know, as far as investors, financial, whatever, are really demanding in society. Well, you got we've got some good answers for you. If you really read them, you'll see that we have better answers than most other industries. And because we we've been answering a lot of those questions for years. And uh, I know when I was on a, one board in particular, other boards, but one in particular where I was involved on a, a committee on safety, we had a, a safety meeting first every Monday. You know, we made sure all our staff and everybody went through this, you know, through the, uh, the committee procedures of making sure that everybody was in compliance and all that. So we we definitely, as an industry, have done a lot of great things. And we need to tell our, again, talking about telling our story, we need to tell our story that we are energy efficient. That's our goal. And environmental preservation is our goal, hand in hand. And uh, you're doing that, Jason. I know it's frustrating. It's frustrating to me, too, as well. We've got to keep telling that story. We've got to pound it because uh, our, our country, our future generations are counting on it. Well, I tell you, um, the, the, the people at Fourth of July Parade this weekend loved our story. They loved our story of showing them. Tell me them. how that went. Tell me how that went. So, yeah, what, what we ended up doing is we ended up creating awareness how industry is creating and reusing and recycling water. And so what we did is we got a big plastic water tank, you know, that farmers use, filled it full of recycled water or water, doesn't matter. And it was to, to everybody, it was recycled water, right? And we sprayed the crowd on a 95-degree day with recycled water, man. We had kids running up. It was better than candy, better than candy. And it, we made a literally made a splash. And we had everybody coming up afterwards just thanking us. People actually... Hey, Jason, I'm starting to lose you a little bit. It's cutting in and out. Oh, I'm sorry. How are we doing now? Do we have you? Yeah, I, was, I wanted to hear the story. I, miss, I was getting in getting parts of it, so I thought I'd better have you... Uh, Tell, tell that again. No problem. I, I the, the the energy I get is probably so energized it blew the phone system out. So, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, no, what, what we ended up doing is, I'll start from the beginning if you don't mind. That's perfect. Okay, so uh, we ended up creating an awareness for recycled water and how industry recycles and reuses water, right? And so we got a big plastic uh, a water tank, filled it full of water and uh, put up a diesel, small little diesel generator with a hose to it and sprayed the crowd on a 95-degree day with recycled water, and they were just lining up, and it was better than candy. It was better than <laughs> candy. It was, yeah. and, oh, we, I mean, we literally were the splash of the show. And so I had people coming up to me afterwards, and we, we, had, a, we had a little setup there and a little table and a booth, and... And we were talking to people. I mean, we were busy as can be because you got to remember we're in the heart of Lakes, Minnesota. So you've got uh, you got Winnipeg, Minneapolis, Wisconsin, Sioux Falls, Fargo. You know, you've got this you know five hour area where people go to lakes, right, for the Fourth of July. So this little town of 120 people gets 10,000 people dumped in there on a day, and so we had all kinds of people coming up to us thanking us for such a creative way. And get this, are you ready for this? We had people that actually said they would donate to the crude life for our cause. I love it. I love so it. so here, here I, I have a hard time getting some oil and gas companies to meet with me, and I got a bunch of, a bunch of blue, white-collared liberals saying, love the message, well, how can we donate to your cause? It's, it's, you can't make it up, man. We live in a to- topsy-turvy world sometimes, but... 
Um, it was a great time. And the, uh, like I said, the spray in the water Congratulations was... Congratulations on that. That's wonderful. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Well, and, uh, and it was also the industrial forest was part of the awareness as well, uh, explaining to the people about how the industrial forest is going to be solving another problem. And that's, of course, that 50% of the trees that are planted uh, by nonprofits and by governments die in the first year. And so industry is going to solve that problem. Uh, go to theindustrialforest.com if you want to check that out. But uh, we're here to talk to Mr. Stansberry, not Jason Spees, plug his uh, activities in Fourth of July. I love and, your story. Love it. But that's uh, that, that was that, that's an example of ESG, for example, uh, yes. getting out there in a creative way. What, where I think we're at with ESG, and I'd love to know your, your theory on this, is and I'll, I'll be kind of quick about it, is I, I honestly think that uh, the, uh, the, the oil and gas industry and the energy industry specifically are the leaders in the E of the ESG by, right. by a long shot. Uh, the S part, I think they do fine. I think they should do a better job maybe of a little bit more, uh, like, like my comment, when you give the money to the same people, you get the same results. Maybe it's time to start looking at some other areas with the S part of it because the, the, the other part just seems to be getting you in that same area. Now, the G part is where I think there's going to be some, some, some issue. That's the transparency side and the, the governance side. Uh, I think it's twofold. One is uh, I, I think that there are some, some, some leaders out there who probably have not done some things that are, they're a little bit concerned about. Uh, but more importantly, I think, is that is the post-traumatic stress disorder happening with uh, the BP spill and Exxon, for crying out loud. I mean, we're talking about one incident 20, 30 years ago, another incident 10, 20 years ago, and it's still being talked about as an example and things along those lines. I don't know any other industry that got, that's been held that accountable. So um, I do think there are, there, there's a little bit of validity behind boardroom PTSD on trying to be transparent because, well, you know, some of the climate activists, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. They will. So um, like I said, E, I think they're the leaders in. I think S, they're already doing. Maybe just, you know, do a little bit more diversity behind the, the S part. Uh, the, the, the G, I think there's going to be some problems. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, your thoughts on ESG from what I just said? From what you just said? Yeah, I, I, when I say ESG for what's going on the website, it would probably emphasize the E part. Uh, that we've got, I wouldn't say handle, but we've got a better outlook there by all means because we've had to keep up with it. And, 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 but we haven't really told the story of how we kept up with it as far as environmental. On the social side, yes, uh, we can do much better. And uh, and I see, uh, like for what Man- Emmanuel Sullivan's doing with his uh, not only Oil Man magazine but Oil Woman magazine, I think it's a great thing. Is is to get the message out that uh, we relate to to uh, everyone that wants to be in the industry can be, and it's it's wonderful. On the governance side. Um, I think we're going to see some shakeups. We've already seen Exxon as an example. And I, I'm, it's going from really what I, I give a talk, or have been giving a talk through the years, called the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. And what I mean by that is there's great ideas out there. Let's say it's ESG or things like that that we can incorporate, incorporate it properly. And that needs to go from the whiteboard to the boardroom. And there's a distance 
there's a distance between the whiteboard and the boardroom. And that's got to be uh, worked on. And that's what I've emphasized many times is when, when a, in the digital transformation, there needs to be companies that also go from uh, their antiquated ways to more of the modern ways as far as data processing, data management, uh, metrics, and so forth, and having dashboards to work from and so forth. I see some companies still pushing back on that. And so ESG, yes, E is a strong point. S continually be worked on. G is being transformed. But I would say that if they're all being addressed under, for example, this one company that has on the website, they've addressed all three and pretty much summarized what you said. They're very strong on the E, uh, need to work some more on the S and the G. Uh, they believe they've got a good board that's working on. Uh, they have to be proud of their, the governance side. But. Yeah, last night I had kind of a, a, a different moment when I was going through some of the ESG, and we were trying to figure out the best way to approach this again, whether to bring back the ESG report, whether to you know, make it kind of a humorous Mr. Rogers type scenario where you come in and take your shoes off and put on, you know what I mean? It's just, it, well, there's, it's, it's hard to figure out a way to approach it and even who your audience is going to be in today's day and age too, because it's very fragmented and segmented out there. And, and with that, I just, I wrote down the, just the cold hard truth, which is, and what you just mentioned made me think of this is industry ain't going anywhere, but some of the people might be. And, and that really made me think long and hard about, you know, my intention going forward on a lot of these different things, because, um, you know, this ESG movement's just starting. It's just starting. And people need to really understand that. It's just starting. So things that, you know, you might have put out there three, four years ago can come back and bite you tomorrow. And, and you've been in the media long enough to know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and, and with books, like special, oh, I couldn't even imagine with books. Holy smokes. I mean, I've only been a magazine writer and a newspaper writer. I couldn't imagine with, uh, you know, novels and books out there because, you know, you got to have footnotes and all kinds of different stuff. So, uh, just what, what do you think about that comment I just made? Cause that's a pretty controversial topic. What I just said. Yeah. And kind of another way to, you know, look at it too, is that, you know, when we talk about, you know, 96% of our daily lives are fossil fuel derivative from the toothpaste to the toothbrush to all these other things. You know, it really did make me think that, you know, industry is not going anywhere in my lifetime. Even if we were to reduce our fossil fuel dependency down to, you know, 70%, that would be incredible in my lifetime. I mean, that's a 26% decrease, you know, I mean, we're talking you know, plastic wrap on vaccines, on our Lunchables, and, you know, PVC pipes and siding, all kinds of different things. So uh, that would be an incredible shift. So that's why I kind of wrote that down last night, which is, you know, I don't see the industry going anywhere, but, you know, some of the people might. And that's where this ESG movement is really in its infant stages. So uh, you being in the media, that's why I thought you might understand that side of it a little more than maybe the average person. The demand is great for petrochemicals, and it's going to maintain that, as you said. But I, I would say there, there are so many that don't are not aware of that or don't want to be aware of it. I don't know how you want to say it, to the point that it impacts their daily life because there's so many that I talk to also that are ready to transition from oil and gas directly to, to clean energy, what they 
term clean energy of the future. And I'm going, wait a second, we, we've got to maintain, we've got to have this workforce. We, we're going to lose folks that are the experts. Uh, and, and we've got to be careful. Innovation technology is great, and I support it all the way. I've seen some great things happen in the oil fields, uh, as you have over the last 10 years, that have really uh, brought about some great uh, opportunities for our industry. And, uh, you know, the future of our artificial intelligence, robotics, on and on, are going to be there. But still, that, all that said does not take the place of the needed manpower and the knowledge base that we have, and we're losing it. And uh, we, we, we don't want to lose it. So we, we need to go out there and, and uh, talk about people who have made a difference, the, the engineers, the geologists, the landmen, all those out in the field that work, all those that sacrifice their daily lives. It's, you know, it's a 24-7 operation, as you know, Jason. And a lot of folks think, well, you just turn the switch on or you go to get your tank filled. That's, you know, it's not a big deal. Well, think of it. If we talked about upstream, midstream, downstream, and all that, every avenue I'm talking about will have to be a, a, a report or evaluation on the ESG. And so those components, and you're, you're right, it's just now getting started because it's going to be uh, across the board very quickly. Uh, and even though it's just getting started, it's going to move pretty rapidly. And that hurts our, first of all, the investment dollars are there. But uh, if they don't have an ESG report, well, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to help the fund. But we need a lot of funding. <laughs> we need a lot of support. We need to maintain our industry. And uh, I wish people were more aware of, of what uh, the sacrifice that all those in the industry are doing. Yes, we need to reach out to uh, more uh, besides the, uh, you know, as far as the social side, we need to definitely make sure we maintain a good uh, governance um, but, uh, you're right. We're, we're in a, we're in a pathway that's not looking bright if we're not careful. Well, what, what worries me is the stifling innovation, because if there's not an investment right now in some of these young thought workers that are bringing in new ideas, whether it be recycled water or whether it be, you know, some sort of uh, solar wind, electric frack hybrid tribrid, um, you know, mining Bitcoin out there and, and that sort of thing. You know, I, I think it's a shame, you know, and whether, the, whether it's industry investing in these ideas or like I've said for a long time, just take 50% of the wind and solar subsidies that they've been getting for 30 years and not hitting the milestones that they put out. That's the part that people forget is that a lot of the terawatt of energy storage and the 45-minute charging stations, those were milestones that the electric energy, uh, uh, that the uh, uh, solar and wind energy, they put out on themselves and they didn't hit. And they got rewarded with more subsidies. In the meantime, you got these, these smart, clever capitalists sleeping out on well sites, checking monitors away from their families every night, trying to, you know, gamble on the fact that the energy company is going to invest in their future. That's a tough, I, I, that's, that's tough. And it, if those types of, uh, you know, smart, clever capitalists, if they go away, I worry about the industry too then because a lot of that innovation will go with it. No, and that's the concern that we both have. And, I, and think of also the opportunities that we have. Uh, let's look at LNG. And I know that's uh, something you're 
strongly supporting as well. But our industry has an opportunity, natural gas industry, to provide natural gas for the world, not just for ourselves. And with uh, 7, 8 billion people out there uh, that need our, our help that way, uh, I'm, I'm concerned that that, that industry in itself, uh, only a few years ago, was supposed to be the definitely the bridge to the future. And um, that's being kind of uh, not happening, I guess you'd say, in the way that it needs to. Uh, um, the focus needs to be, I think, right now on, on, on LNG in a big way, and I'm a big proponent of that, is we could definitely help countries like India and of course, we're already looking at Europe and Asia and others, but uh, t- to help countries to get out of uh, poverty and to not always say that we can help somebody have a uh, you know electricity so they can turn a light on so they can read at night. Some young person doesn't have that right now. I'd, you know, a lot of folks throughout the world don't have refrigerators. You know, they don't have the access. But here we can bring the power generation through natural gas through LNG to the world. And we can do it in a great way. We definitely work on uh, the uh, reducing methane emissions and and uh, and as far as carbon sequestration and so forth. And we need to work on that. But while wow, we've got some opportunities to to really change the world in a good way, save the world in a good way for uh, for generations of people, young people especially. What do you make of the carbon tax? You uh, you doing much with that these days? You know, we haven't. I haven't been addressed that much on it. It's really interesting. Of course, I'm in Oklahoma, so it's not really an, <laughs> an issue that's a hey, cool value spe- speeches and talks and visit with people across the U.S., but it's not really being uh, uh, being addressed much. Uh, what about you? Are you seeing it in Europe? Well, we're forcing it out of people. Um, you know, we're asking people uh, whenever we get somebody of, uh, you know, whether they're you know appointed leader or elected elected leader in, in the field, we generally are, are asking them for their stance on a climate tax because uh, we do believe it's it's one of the few things we've actually put a statement out on, like as a crude life. Because normally we just kind of we're non political. We just want to allow experts to have a voice and a platform and that sort of thing. Uh, but the climate tax is one of those that we believe is going to directly impact the poor first, and it's going to trickle its way up, maybe, yeah. m- m- maybe to the elite at some point, but probably not at all. Because, in fact, a lot of times the way the new system works is that um, by the time it makes it, its way up to you know, the rich, they actually profit off the tax because they, mm-hmm. they, they put so many uh, upcharges on the tax. So. Right. We, we put out a statement, and uh, DEPA was uh, the only other one that we found that was against the climate tax, too. And what we were surprised about was that there wasn't any of the uh, uh, state-run associations, whether it be Ohio or Oklahoma or North Dakota or Wyoming, that even put out a statement saying they were for it, they were against it, or... Interesting. We're going to kick the can down the road a month because, holy shit, what happened here? We were just fighting this for 20 years, and now we're okay with this? Like, just any sort of, like, surprise. So um, the bigger picture for me is this. I'm a little concerned when the biggest and probably most important tax on the planet is out there right now being endorsed by the American Petroleum Institute, and nobody is even having the conversation 
that does concern me quite a bit. Um, what's your thoughts, I guess? Well, I, I like what I hear from your standpoint and that we've got to address it. Um, from I, I, In my book, America Needs America's Energy, I did uh, talk about um, uh, that situation as far as Europe and so forth and had the same uh, conclusion that you have um, and addressed it really back even in uh, the breaking point to a certain degree is that uh, we've got to uh, coordinate it. Uh, you know, being like I said from Oklahoma, it's it's not being addressed because I th- we think we know where everybody stands. <laughs> that that won't happen from uh, from the from especially the region that I'm in, and as far as even Texas and so forth, and o- Arkansas, all the states that I'm pretty much involved with in the oil and gas industry, we don't think anything can happen with that Be- from from the from the support of the legislatures, uh, and of course, a lot of our, our red states that we're involved with. But if we're not careful, Jason, it can slip on, slip in. It sure could. Um, so that's where you you were ahead of the game. But wow, maybe well, you you we need to light the fire into all of us, and you're doing that. So we I need to get some more information for what you're doing and send it my way. I'd like to see more. Well, we're we're gonna probably do a uh, a show where we just all the different people that we have on record with what their climate tax statement is, and that way we can kind of you know put it like a, di- a diners, drive-ins, and dives show of all Italian cuisine. We're gonna do it with with climate tax, and uh, well, because you know th- to it's me that th- it's gotta be addressed. I get I get where you're coming from. It's been I've written about it. Nobody talks. I mean, even when I wrote the book, it's the last thing they want to talk about. They being the the readers, uh, congressmen, you name it, uh, it's it's there, and they go, well, it's, it's that's Europe, and I said, no, it's here. If we're not careful, you know. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I think a lot of it is too. It's it's more examples of of the industries becoming more reactive than proactive in certain areas, and and they need to readjust their intentions and their and their thoughts, you know. Um, and this is one area where I do think they need to get ahead of it and. Um, almost to where if they get ahead of the climate tax, they'll be able to control the ESG movement through that. Because right. once the climate tax goes through, that's that's the ultimate tax to control right. control every part of your life. At that point, yeah. they can tell me when I can use my toaster, and I'm not even being crazy. That's actually the way it works in some countries. Well, it's already heading that way for lights for a while, isn't it? So yes, <laughs> you're right. In some you're states, right. in some states, yeah. they do have that, don't they? In some counties, in yeah, some states, yeah, yeah they, right. they do. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, just kind of you know looking at the uh, time here and looking at my notes and wrapping up and seeing if I've got everything that I've pretty much. You mentioned the digital trans transition. Um, you, what, what what was the uh, term you used? Uh, the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. Okay. Was the topic. That I gave for actually, I was speaking in 2018. I spoke to, uh, at the Pipeline Association meeting uh, talking about pipelines, and this was in uh, Tulsa. Uh, and I found that there were so many that had not really didn't feel like there was a disconnect. I guess you'd say between the whiteboard, the the those that are having the ideas to the board itself, there was a disconnect. And I found this. I gave talks in Tulsa and before the uh, Petroleum Data Management Association in Houston at their annual convention and up in Denver or different places I go, I find that 
people would come up to me and say, uh, we're in the industry. We, we want to support our, our board and our company, but there's a disconnect. And over and over again, I heard that. So uh, I, I think it's what we've talked about today. We've got to communicate with each other. We've got to be better at that. But then we need to communicate to the public and let people know not only what we stand for, but tell about ourselves. Tell how it's helped you know our kids or our you know, friends of our kids or whatever um, get through school or have a future or some that are already back in the industry following their parents' career as well. So... If we go out and tell our story and and be advocates for the industry, I think that's so vital. And uh, so I encourage, you know, that everyone uh, look at it from that standpoint. And and I tell people that they're idle right now and they're, they're, they don't have a lot of work going on. And I, I'll say, educate. Don't stop. Now's the time to fine-tune your skills. Learn more. Don't don't sit around waiting for a phone call when you can also uh, increase your skills. Uh, it's like what you're doing, being proactive, Jason. Uh, I, I like what you're talking about on the climate tax. I like what I'm hearing on these ESG, uh, and I agree with you. We've got to be more proactive instead of assuming, being reactive, assuming that it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to go away. And it's, and it's, it, the longer we think that's going to happen, it doesn't go away. It, it builds up and builds up because we're not communicating. Well, and not only that, but then then you have a instance where the people that were just denying and calling you crazy and and you know making your life miserable are now the people that are going to educate you on it. Right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, right. okay. Well, it it creates a little bit of a, a difficult relationship, is what I'm saying. And mm-hmm. so when when that's happening too, uh, that that makes it hard. It makes it very hard for um, for the communication to happen because now it's a reaction on a reaction. Um, in fact, there, there was just an article today that uh, it talked about that in The Guardian about Scottie Pippen because Scottie Pippen is going through all this, like, just poison and anger he's got towards Michael Jordan and all this other stuff. And so... They're talking about, you know, when the when the guy who hates hates. And so how this how, you know, the the two wrongs are really not making it right for anybody type of a thing. So um, anyway. Uh how can hey, uh I was gonna mention the digital transformation. Um, you know, we were we, we one of our th- second or third story, I forget, was was the title was This is not an oil boom, it's a technology boom. And was that, yeah, it's driven by oil, but so much of the uh, uh, future and, and dollars and startups and everything are going to be technology-based. No question. And you mentioned you, you were speaking about this as well several years ago. So how can people uh, give you some business nowadays? You know, hire you up and get you out to do some speaking and buy your sure. book. And, I mean, uh, right now you're on the cover of Oil Man Magazine, right? Yes, yes. It just came out, um, the digital, I think the... Our topic's coming out soon. I, uh, MarkStansbury.com is a website, M-A-R-K-S-T-A-N-S-B-E-R-R-Y.com. Um, my emphasis, Jason, is, is uh, in my, my uh, stage in life is I'm really pushing uh, to assist in regard to an energy, being an energy advisor, uh, corporate uh, development strategist. And that means really more of the C-suite where I can come in uh, help those that are trying to get from the, uh, the communication from the whiteboard to the boardroom to help on their data 
management and their metrics and trying to build the, their dashboards and trying to become, uh, you know, the communication level, uh, the strategic level is really what my emphasis is. And so uh, advising companies and corporate leaders how to uh, meet the challenges and build their pathway to their future. So that's, that's my goal. Um, I give talks, yes, um, in National Association of Royalty Owners annual conventions coming up. I'll be speaking there uh, next week. I'll be speaking. It's, it's called the Presidential Leadership Institute. It's high school students from across the U.S. Uh, arrive at York College up in York, Nebraska, to um, to uh, be you know I'll be talking about energy and some other issues. Um, and so it's it's a wonderful thing to be able to give out these talks. I have a blog. Just start a podcast, National Energy Talk, and uh, either go, you know, Apple or go on the MarkStansbury.com, and you'll see how to, to uh, you know, as far as get the podcast there. So I appreciate you giving me this opportunity, Jason. Uh, it's been wonderful. I appreciate all you're doing. Your leadership is great. I've been a fan uh, of yours uh, through the years, and, uh, you know, it's interesting to be a contributor of a magazine, and we finally uh, actually – get to uh, campaign together on what we really love, and that's our energy industry, oil and gas industry.